Uh, today I'm going to be speaking on prosperity. And as you know, our sermons are put out on the internet. And so I just want to make a couple of introductory comments as to what we don't believe so that people who aren't familiar with us won't start with the wrong understanding. The first thing we don't believe about prosperity is name it, claim it, grab it, blab it, grab it. The second thing we don't believe about prosperity is that we should focus our faith on obtaining prosperity. Rather, we should focus our faith on being obedient to God's call in our life, doing, serving God in what he's asked us to do. And prosperity then is a byproduct of our obedience to God. Third thing is we don't live under the law, we live under grace. So when I read from Deuteronomy, it says if you do this, 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 and this, and you're a good boy or girl, and God will bless you, it's not really for us, it's not a matter of obeying the law to the letter. Because in the blood of Jesus Christ, God sees us as obedient. But what, it, what obedience does is it moves us under God's waterfall of blessing. It puts us in a position where God can richly bless us. Because sometimes, you know, when you love your children, you would love to give them the world. Well, not the world. You'd love to give them the kingdom. But sometimes you realize that giving them things that they're not ready for could be to their detriment. And God does the same thing with us. That's why we learn through obedience how to move under the, the outpouring of God's blessings. So with that said, I'm going to change the name of prosperity to this morning to talking about abundance. Why? Both words are in Scripture. We see some places where it says God wants to prosper us. But in the New Testament, what we see most is that Jesus Christ came to give us life abundantly. And what I want to do this morning is take a few minutes to look at what is that abundant life about? And how do we position ourselves to walk in that abundance. You know, the world wants to feel comfortable. We often say as Christians that we look to God or we're looking to God to meet our needs. When actually, we're, what we mean is we're looking to God to meet our wants. Now, what are our needs? If we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, Matthew tells us, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For these things the Gentiles seek. In the New Testament, the Gentiles refers to the world. So we could say, For after all these things the world seeks. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Abundance is not something that we as Christians should seek, according to Matthew 6, 33 and following. Abundance is the byproduct of God providing our needs, a byproduct of serving him, a byproduct of blessing, of pleasing him. God will abundantly provide for our needs. So our focus shouldn't be on our needs. Our focus should be on serving God. And more specifically, our focus should be on being Jesus with skin on to others. Paul reinforces this idea in Philippians chapter 4 where he speaks about or speaks of knowing how to be abased and how to abound. And he concludes saying, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. God will provide all of your need. But are our needs all that God wants us to be satisfied with? Are our needs all that God is willing to provide us? Let's look at Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Welfare means welfare. It's, it's just like the word sozo, which we call it, which, from which we get salvation. It's not just salvation of our souls. It's being made completely whole, body, soul, spirit. And welfare means all of our welfare, not just our spirit, not just our mind, not just our, our physical needs. But God wants us to be, God's plans for us are to be blessed and living in, his, in the abundance of the kingdom in all the areas of our life. Third John chapter 2, John writes, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Another word for soul is mind. Just as your mind prospers. Now, your mind should prosper really well because you have the mind of Christ. But as Tricia read in the previous, uh, in the scripture reading for this morning, if we don't remember that our old person is dead, our old nature is dead, and we are new creatures made, in the, made to come alive into the fullness of God, then we think about ourselves as the way we were instead of the way we are, and our mind does not prosper. Our mind prospers when we think about ourselves the way, Jesus, the way God's word tells us God thinks about us. Unfortunately, in much of Jefferson County, we see it scourged by poverty. And this, to me, is a symptom of a community that needs Jesus Christ. They need Jesus Christ to save them from their sins, to bring abundance, the abundance of God's kingdom into their lives. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. 
God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can even imagine he would do according to the power that works in us. What is the power that works in us? It's the Holy Spirit. But, you know, there's something about God. You all have the Holy Spirit. You all have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. But God, just as he won't force any person to receive him as Lord and Savior, he won't force any one of us to allow the power that works within us to be released on our behalf. We have to choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit for that power to be effective, for that power to be released in our lives and in the lives of those around us. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000 with a scarce amount of physical resources, but he had all the resources of God's kingdom at his disposal. Those with massive resources often start placing their trust in the provision and not the provider. But the Bible tells us promotion does not come from the east or the west, but from God. Now, when we think of promotion, we tend to think of getting a, a, a raise at work, a better position at work. But when God thinks about promotion, he thinks about us moving from glory to glory. And so it's as we grow closer to God the Father through Jesus Christ, it's as we grow from glory to glory, are changed by the Holy Spirit from glory to glory, that we see promotion comes from God. The problem, however, is an incomplete understanding of God's capacity to act in the presence of scarcity. You see, as Christians, we're not to look at life solely from the physical realm. Because while we are in this world, we are no longer of this world. We walk in this world, but when we walk where we walk, we bring the kingdom of God with us. In Matthew 14, uh, verses 30, 13 through 21, Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see the disciples' view of life through the lens of scarcity. We only have five loaves and two fish, they said. And the disciples' resources appeared scarce compared to the need of feeding 5,000 men plus their families. There's a similar story told in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 6, where Elijah encounters the widow of Zarephath. She's about to run out of food, but because she submits to Elijah's request to feed him, her small amount of flour and olive oil never ran out. I want to talk a little bit about that in the, in the issue of prosperity or, or abundance. You know, in one sense, I have lived from paycheck to paycheck all my life. Actually, there was a, early in my marriage a part of my life where I didn't quite make it from paycheck to paycheck. And at that time, we didn't give anything to the work of the Lord because we felt like a glorified God to pay our bills on time. But somewhere along the line, we got 
I, one of us, we, we got convicted. And we felt like we needed to be, be trusting God for our needs. And that if we put God first, that that was what the Bible taught. And so we started to give. It wasn't 10%, but we started to give. And we continued to give. And I don't know how, but somehow we caught up with what was behind and we were living paycheck to paycheck. And along the way, we've made some poor financial decisions and then said, oh my goodness, how are we going to make these payments? But we continued to give to God and he somehow, he has continued to provide. We still live paycheck from paycheck. That little bit of oil and that little bit of flour is all that's in the checking account. But it's always enough. Abundance and prosperity doesn't mean that I have enough money in the checking account that I can do whatever I want. But it does mean I have enough money to help others and still meet my needs. Now certainly the disciples knew the story of uh, the widow Zarephath and Elijah. They had studied the, the, the Old Testament, the scrolls. But they failed to remember that what God had done in the past. And because they failed to remember what God did in the past, they failed to expect what God would do in the future. All they looked at was two fish and five loaves. But that wasn't what Jesus looked at. Jesus said, take what you have and give it to them. And God turned, or Jesus turned to the Father and said, Father, I thank you for these two loaves and five fishes. Jesus knew they were enough in God's economy. The Father invites us to share in his kingdom where there is abundance. A scarcity mentality is not for the disciples of Jesus. Instead, God wants us to have a stewardship mentality of all that the Father has generously put into our hands. The Holy Spirit is saying, put the resources you have in my hands and see what I can do with it. In God's economy, scarcity becomes abundance. Now, what is the abundant life? I would like to give you a definition of abundance. And this is Wayne's definition, by the way. Abundance is to have enough to be able to give to the needs of others and still meet your own needs. Now, I've often heard it said the other way around. Abundance is enough to meet your needs and still be able to give to others. The problem is that's backwards according to Scripture. We don't take and then give what's left over. Scripture teaches we give with cheerful hearts. <coughs> We give, and the more we give, the more God blesses us to give. I'm reminded of the story of J.C. Penney, who, by the way, was a Christian. And yes, he did declare bankruptcy 11 times. And yes, he knew both abundance and, and uh, scarcity. But when he died, he was giving 80% of what he made to the work of the church, uh, to the work of God, and living off of 20%. And living very well off of 20%, I might add. That's where I want to get. I want to get where I can give 80% of what God gives me away. 80. How about 
and keep 2% and still have all my needs met. God can do that if we will submit and do what he's asking us to do. Not because we're under the law, but because obedience to his calling on our lives puts us in a position where he can bless us without hurting us. As we saw in Matthew 6.33, abundance is first spiritual abundance. And then God provides for our needs, right? Seeking, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given or added unto you. Now, neither our wealth nor our poverty is a sure indicator of our relationship with God. Paul said he knew what it was to be both abased and to abound. He knew what it was like to have the scarcity. But Paul was still Paul. And Paul's scarcity didn't start until after he received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When Paul was a Pharisee, he had a good life. But you see, it was Paul's choice. Paul chose to give everything for the honor of serving Christ and doing what God called him to do. It wasn't that God wasn't blessing Paul. It was that Paul made the decision to give away everything, to do whatever it took to be obedient to the call of God. So I would say Paul's soul was prospering very well, even though at times it didn't look like it from the outside. You know, the word abundant in the Greek is the word parison. And it means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more, superfluous, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than one would expect or anticipate. That's God's abundance. And you know, while Luke 6.38 is written in the context of forgiveness, the principle describes God's heart and intention. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you used, it will be measured back to you. It really has nothing to do with a whole lot, but every time I go to fast food and I get French fries, which these days isn't very often anymore, <laughs> but when I get French fries, I always look to see if it's heaping over and if some have fallen over into the bag. You see, that tells me these are, these are people that aren't greedy, they're generous. Those are the places I want to support. When I go in and, and my thing is only three quarters filled and there's nothing laying in the bag for after my sandwich, I'm not going back there. It's, a, it's the same way with us. When we give freely, when we give cheerfully, when we don't worry about where the, the next meal's coming from, but we worry about being Jesus with clothes on to, or, uh, to others, God not only fills it up and lets a few fall over, he just keeps pouring it into the bag. 
Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Why persecutions? Two reasons. One, the devil hates it when you prosper in God because you're dangerous. So he's going to try to sidetrack you. He's going to try to stop you. And the second reason sometimes is that God does not want us to become proud. God doesn't want us to look at our provision. He wants us to look to the provider. And so he will not bless us to the point that it becomes a detriment to our own well-being. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 8 through 10. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you to abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. The Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. You see, if we view life through the lens of scarcity, we will always be fearful and anxious. But if we view life through the scarcity or through the lens of the abundance of the kingdom of God, we will be bold. We won't be wasting energy on what could happen. We won't be wasting energy on what we don't have. We will be focusing our energy on doing what God has called us to do. So how do we live in the abundant life of Jesus' promises? Well, first of all, we are called to live a life of faith, which means we must trust in the provider, not the provision. And understand, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. So if I have the house payment check come in my mailbox so that I can make my house payment, where's the faith in that? It's already in hand. I don't have to believe for anything. I already have it. But when the house payment is due and the, that check didn't show up yet, but I know God is faithful if I'm living life according to his principles. I don't worry about the fact that that check hasn't shown up yet. I just love Warren. He's a missionary to uh, the Philippines. And every time before he's going, he's always short of what he needs for the mission trip. But by the time the airplane, but he knows that by the time the airplane leaves, God will have provided. And he doesn't worry about it. He knows. He has faith. Even though it's not in his hand, even though he can't see it in his bank account, he knows that God will be faithful to allow him to do what God has called him to do. 
We are called to be givers, not takers. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Let me say that again. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. That's why I say we give and God, we give to others and God makes sure we have enough to give to others and to meet our own needs. The lens of scarcity makes one stingy and greedy, but the lens of abundance allows us to give to be giving and charitable. John 10.10, uh, 10, The thief comes not to accept to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. You know, the scarcity mindset revolves around the idea that there simply is not enough to go around. But the abundance mindset flows out of the deep inner sense of personal worth and security, and it's a paradigm that in God's economy, in God's kingdom, there's plenty for everybody and more to spare. Because you see, God is the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold under them. And at the prices of gold today, that's a lot. A lot. And I don't have time to uh, dig into it, but I would encourage you to compare Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 4, which is the abundance lens. And then compare verses 15 to the end, which is the scarcity lens. In Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28, it says, Behold, I set this day before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you, in a curse, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I commanded you this day and go after other gods you have not known. They're both there. There's blessings and there's curses. And my question is, what are you expecting? What are you looking for? Are you looking for the blessings? Or are you looking for the, oh me, oh my, I've always been poor, I'll always be poor. God doesn't love me the way he loves so-and-so. What are you expecting? What are you looking for? Because I guarantee you, what you search for, you will find. We serve a king who has abundance at his disposal. After feeding the 5,000 with scarce resources... There were 12 basketfuls 
of bread and fish left over. You see, God didn't just, just enough to get by. That wasn't what he did. He poured out his blessings and made abundance. The lens of scarcity brings poverty, but the lens of abundance brings spiritual, mental, and material prosperity. The lens of scarcity is focused on the world, but the lens of abundance is focused on the kingdom of God and his faithfulness. But remember that abundance comes from a stewardship mindset. I've often asked God to let me win the lottery. I'd say, I'd be happy to give away 80% and just keep 20, if it's a big enough win, right? <laughs> and there lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. I don't really know what my heart would do in that situation. I know the tendencies of my heart, but no one knows my heart except God. I think I would like, gladly give away 80% and only keep 20%. I wonder if I'd change it to 90 if I'd do any better. Anyhow, um, only God knows my heart. I have to be in the situation before I know what I truly do. But this I know, whether I abound or whether I don't, I'm not abounding, God has my best interest at heart. And God will take care of me and those that I'm responsible for. What are you proclaiming from your heart of faith? Do your words proclaim scarcity or abundance? Now remember, we've been talking about proclamation. Proclamation is not just words spoken. While words can hurt or words can heal, words just spoken are nothing but words. Words spoken from a heart of faith are empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the situation, the circumstances. And it's from the heart, from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So I can go around and claim that God's going to make me prosperous. And if that's not coming out of my heart, I'm just saying it because that's the right thing to say. It's just words. But when in my heart, I am settled and secure in the love of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, when I'm at peace with my maker, when I know his promises are yes and amen, always, every time, then what comes out of my mouth is the thing that is in my heart. And that's the thing that changes me, circumstances, and the people around me. So what I speak really isn't necessarily God's man of great faith. What I hear come out of my mouth is an indication of where my heart's at. And you know what? If my heart's not where it should be, that's okay. For now. That's what Jesus died for. That we can repent and turn around and choose to trust God and to be forgiven for our unbelief and to grow to become 
all that God ordained for us to be. In closing, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, not just abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, more than I can think, according to the power that works in us. We talked about that, right? The power that works in us gives us the ability to live abundantly. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. So this wasn't just for the first century. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what that means is that What that means is that it's not just in the life to come. It's not just in this life. It's from this day forward through the return of the Lord into infinity. We will be prosperous in God because he loves us and because our heart is to serve him and obey him and please him. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this day, Father, that you have enabled us to be healthy enough to be in your house. That, Father, you gave us gas to be able to get here. Father, that you have provided for this wonderful campus and a building we can meet in. We thank you more for Jesus Christ that he died in our place, that he took 